Hello everyone, welcome to the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. For those of you who are joining me for the very first time, welcome. My name is Doc. I am an anti-fascist, a serving street medic, a union man, an anarchist based out of so-called New England. And on this podcast, I summarize, mock, and critique the white nationalist, fascist, and neo-Nazi literature that I consume for the benefit of my podcast project, Small Audience. I read this shit so that other people don't have to. And before I begin with this particular episode, which is the premiere of Season 3, I would like to take a moment to note the date or dates on and in between which I am recording this episode. So, tonight is April 30th, 2022 CE which is the 77th anniversary of Adolf Hitler's suicide in Berlin as the Red Army uh, surrounded the Reichschancellery and was preparing to either bomb Hitler personally to smithereens or shoot him or more likely bring him back to Moscow and let him be put in some sort of cage or perhaps be put on trial at Nuremberg. It's not actually clear what would have happened to Hitler had he been taken alive. But he was convinced that he would be treated uh, barbarically and uh, essentially receive a dose of his own medicine. And Hitler couldn't live with that, so he killed himself. Good riddance to him. It was probably the best decision that Adolf Hitler had ever made. The official position of this podcast is that all explicit neo-Nazis who fly the swastika should simply follow in their leader's footsteps by... I'm not going to finish that sentence, but you can probably guess where I was going with that. Tomorrow is also uh, May Day, which is International Workers' Day, the uh, anniversary of the massacre of striking workers by the Chicago Police Department in 1886. So, ACAB, of course, uh, and we uh, salute the memory of the anarchist martyrs of Haymarket on this podcast. So, with that bit of house cleaning out of the way... Uh, we will proceed with Season 3's premiere, uh, and the subject of today's podcast episode is a really special treat for folks. Tonight we will be covering a man by the name of Alexander Dugan. Now, of course, you have probably never heard of this gentleman, but he is perhaps the most influential fascist thinker in Russia in this day and age. He is, his name has come up more than once in connection to the recent invasion of Ukraine by Russia. For those of you who have been living under a rock, uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine. There are Russian troops on the ground in Europe. Uh, it looked like World War III was a sure thing for a couple weeks, according to Twitter. Uh, but is beginning to look like that will not happen. So that's good. I'd prefer not to be nuked, if at all possible. But Dugan was a name that was brought up more than once as an influential philosopher and geopolitical thinker within Moscow. So this episode is going to go into a brief background of Dugan as a person before we begin to summarize the text for today. And the text for today will be Dugan's book, uh, Fourth Political Theory, which was published originally in St. Petersburg, in 2009, presumably the original is some sort of uh, Russian that I'm not even going to begin to try to understand. So, uh, Alexander Dugin was born in 1962 in Moscow. Uh, 
which was then part of something called the Russian SFSR, the Russian Soviet Federated Socialist Republic, within the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the old USSR. And when he was 18 in 1980, he joined a group called the Yuzinsky Group. It was a group of dissidents, quote-unquote, that dabbled in esoteric philosophy in order to escape the boring blandness of uh, late Soviet-style socialism, with its many problems, but also many benefits that we're not going to go into in great detail for obvious reasons. But what is interesting and worth noting is that while his friends were dabbling in a bunch of random esoteric bullshit, Alexander Dugan very specifically dabbled in Nazism, uh, and when he was uh, asked about this later in life, like, bro, you were a Nazi as a teenager. Why were you doing Nazism? His response was uh, that it was, quote, rebellion against his Soviet upbringing. Uh, later on in an essay entitled Fascism Borderless in Red from 1997, he explains that uh, he has his own unique critiques of na National Socialism, Nazism. And he stated in this essay that, quote, It was by no means the racist and chauvinist aspects of National Socialism that determined the nature of its ideology. So he didn't think racism and chauvinism had anything to do with Nazism's ideological nature, which is an interesting take. He says, The excesses of this ideology in Germany are a matter exclusively of the Germans. So it's just Germans being Germans doing Nazi shit because they're Germans and for no other reason, according to noted brilliant genius Alexander Dugan. Uh, he was later on one of the founders of National Bolshevism, which is uh, sounds to me, and I'm sure to you too, like what you would call yourself if you didn't quite have the balls to call yourself a National Socialist, i.e. a Nazi. Uh, you could just call yourself a national Bolshevik and then go, aha, I am a Nazbol, a national Bolshevik, which is not the same thing as being a national socialist. It's not just borrowing terms from socialism and applying national in front of it and becoming a Nazi. This is something totally unique and brilliant and different that no one has ever thought of before. And anyone who says that I look like I'm a Nazi is just being unreasonable and not willing to engage with me in the marketplace of ideas. Speaking of the marketplace of ideas and people who engage in it, there is a uh, unique connection in the United States between Dugan and a dude named Matthew Heimbach. Now, Matthew Heimbach has not written anything of any relevance that would necessitate him being brought up as a serious fascist on this podcast, at least for my purposes. He did, however, engage in what was known as the Night of the Ron Wides which is when he was caught uh, by his wife and his father fucking his stepmom-in-law. Or his mother-in-law, I think? Like, she was related to him, but not by blood. She was like his, his stepmom or his mother-in-law. But he was caught in bed with his, his stepmom by his stepfather or his father-in-law and his wife. I don't quite remember all the details. It was in 2017, and I've been busy since then. Uh, but Dugan... Uh, back on topic here. Also met a dude by the name of Stephen Bannon, or Steve Bannon, in Rome in 2018. Uh, Steve Bannon used to be a, a serious White House player, uh, pretty close to former President Donald Trump. 
this is a uh, fuck Trump and fuck all presidents and fuck all countries and the state is an institution podcast and not a liberal Russiagate podcast. Uh, Russia did not provably try to influence the election against Hillary Clinton. She mostly fucked it up for herself by being herself. Just in front of as many people as possible. Uh, the connection between Steve Bannon and Dugan has gone back a long ways, and I can't really go into great detail because there's just a wealth of information about this you can find on your own. But this is a much more materially real and provable connection than any sort of Russiagate theory would be inclined to be. And before we go into summarizing this text itself, I wanted to read a bit of a quote from earlier this April from the Asia Times, in which a writer from the American conservative movement critiques uh, Dugan's ideology under the term Neo-Eurasianism. So first Dugan has stated in this text that, quote, We, conservatives, want a strong, solid state. We want order and healthy family, positive values, the reinforcing of the importance of religion and the church and society. That sounds like a pretty standard, boilerplate, boring, bootlicker, conservative right rhetoric. Doesn't it? Here's the response of the writer. Quote, Neo-Eurasianism is nothing more than the same kind of globalist claptrap, great word, that Western leftists are threatening ordinary Americans with, only it is a globalism with an imperialistic, autocratic Russian flair. Most Americans would not find life under either the democratic globalist elite who fancy themselves as our betters in Washington and Brussels, or under the Duganists who dominate Moscow, palatable. I uh, have seen a lot of right-wing infighting. I don't think I've ever seen one of them call the other a globalist before. Generally, they would call me that, or my listeners that, or anyone to the left of them that. So the idea that like their political friends are also globalists is fairly new to me personally. But with a slight idea of a context of what we're going for here. What exactly is the fourth political theory? Oh boy. <laughs> I I am going to have a slightly longer episode uh, than I would usually record because Jesus Christ is this a bunch of pseudo-intellectual boring bullshit. This is not something someone who wants to engage with politics seriously should ever fucking read. Uh, but I've got my outline in front of me here, so I will give it a solid attempt. So, uh, the fourth political theory purports to be an alternative to, quote, liberalism, communism, and fascism. So, it views liberalism, communism, state, Marxist socialism, in other words, and fascism to be, uh, all failed and all wrong and all out of date for various reasons. And therefore, Dugan has reinvented polit politics to do it this way. And by the end, you're going to uh, see for yourself if this seems actually original or not. So he neglects to mention anarchism in, and socialism explicitly for unclear reasons. Like, he never brings them up in the book, despite both ideologies being incredibly important in Russian history. It's just anarchism in Russia, not important, not a serious political theory, just not even going to bring it up. 
uh, which fills me with a deep feeling of shut up, nerd, uh, but that's just me. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, he posits that uh, the necessity of an alternative to the, quote, Atlanticist West, that being, like, NATO, like, Britain, France, Italy, Germany, the United States, Canada, that, that geopolitical bloc. Uh, the FPT, the Fourth Political Theory, draws on pre-existing Duganist geopolitics and refers to the 20th century as, underlined here, the century of ideology, and that the FPT will now embody the spirit of the modern era. Uh, it views liberalism as defeating fascism and then defeating communism, which I suppose is true from an ideological perspective. Like, fascism was not defeated permanently. It was not killed, but it was defeated for a while. Uh, and so were the Soviet bloc and so on. Uh, he does not mention the neoliberalism as a political force. Like, that's been defined elsewhere by other people in more detail. Uh, there's a good video on it from uh, Bad Empanada. There's a good podcast epi uh, series, mini-series about it from uh, It Could Happen Here from Robert Evans. But he does not mention neoliberalism at all as a serious political and economic force in the world, despite its obvious from industrial to post-industrial economies in the 80s and 90s simply on the basis of technology. There's no mention of economics as a force in this book very much. There's no emphasis on power. There's no ex explicit uh, focus on power and hierarchy and, and gratification in that way. Never comes up in this book at all. view of the situation. He says, uh, quote, The status quo and this inertia do not presuppose any political theories whatsoever. A global world can only be ruled by the laws of economics and the universal morality of quote-unquote human rights. All political decisions are replaced by technical ones. He uh, goes on to differentiate postmodernism, modernism, and quote-unquote tradition. He is very much a traditionalist in the vein of Julius Evola and other post-war fascist thinkers like Evola, whom I will probably cover at some point in this podcast, but was also just covered by uh, Red Menace from uh, Brett uh, O'Shea from Red Menace and Rev Left Radio did an episode on an Evola text, so you can go listen to that as well. But uh, tradi tradition, quote-unquote, for Dugan's purposes, is defined as religion, family, and hierarchy. So hierarchy is essential. It is sacred and eternal and, and beyond any sort of modern economic framework or any sort of critique of this system or any other. Hierarchy is the most important thing to worry about. And this essentialism of hierarchy is a tenet of classical fascism. Speaking of classical fascism, two noted sources that uh, Dugan cites specifically as influencing his view of politics. Martin Heidegger, German philosopher and actual Nazi, he was a member of the National Socialist and Workers Party when that was just 
of the European right uh, are both cited by uh, Dugan as influencing his fourth political theory. So his fourth political theory essentializes hierarchy, which is a tenet of fascism, explicitly cites a, an actual Nazi and a post-war fascist, but is not fascism basically because Dugan says so. Uh, and he says uh, quite a bit more after this point about monotonic processes. I don't know what the fuck that meant, and I read the damn thing. Uh, and then he goes on to differentiate conservatism versus traditionalism, which I've already explained the definition of traditionalism. But uh, the definition of traditionalism and its difference from conservatism seems worth quoting here. Quote, there is a second type of conservatism, which we have called status quo or liberal conservatism. It is liberal because it says yes to the main trend that is realized in modernity. But at each stage of this trend, it attempts to step on the brakes. Let's go slower. Let's not do that now. Let's postpone that. Liberal conservatives reason approximately thus. It is good that there is the free individual, but this free post-individual, that's a little too much. Uh, skipping the part about the end of history in Fukuyama. Liberal conservatives do not like leftists. They also do not like right-wingers, such as Evola and Guénon either, but these they do not notice at all. But as soon as they see leftists, they immediately square up. Liberal conservatives are distinguished by the following qualitative structural characteristics. Agreement with the general trends of modernity, but disagreement with more avant-garde manifestations which seem excessively dangerous and unhealthy. He goes on for quite a bit uh, about Eurasianism uh, in detail, which I won't quote because it's both very fake deep and also incredibly boring. Um, but I, I will at least leave you with, or at least put this into the podcast so that you understand some of what I had to read for my audience. Quote, Eurasianism is not a political philosophy, but an episteme. It concerns itself with the class conservative ideology and shares some characteristics with fundamental conservatism, traditionalism, and with the conservative revolution, including the social conservatism of the leftist Eurasianists. The one thing in conservatism that is not acceptable to Eurasianists is liberal conservatism. Eurasianism, recognizing the pretense of the Western Logos to universality, refuses to recognize this universality as an inevitable part of, as an inevitability. This is a specific character of Eurasianism. It considers Western culture as a logical and temporary phenomenon and affirms a multiplicity of cultures and civilizations which coexist at different moments of the cycle. And then it goes on and 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 on at length. And I will spare you all of the rest of that quote, which was exhausting to, to just copy and paste, let alone type. I am trying to keep these episodes to about 20 minutes long, uh, just in the interest of my recording them and my sanity and mental health. But I hope this uh, short episode has done a good job of summarizing one of the most boring and fake deep uh, pseudo-profound philosophical texts that I've had to read in the short history of this podcast project. I was incredibly bored, 
Uh, it took about 400 pages for Dugan to explain that he is basically just a fascist, but he doesn't want the consequences he would face for calling himself a fascist. So he helped found National Bolshevism. Uh, he helped write the program for the Communist Party of the Russian Federation after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he is very much part of this sort of red-brown alliance that other people have alluded to, where certain sections of the statist authoritarian left have allied with uh, fascists like Dugan for purposes of trying to deal with the United States and capitalism in strictly state-based terms and to be treating all of uh, political theory as a game of risk, uh, which is very dumb and wrong. And sort of makes you miss a whole host of other phenomena that are not geopolitics. Like if you if you have a hammer, you tend to view everything as nails. And if everything is not actually nails, then you won't actually be able to effectively solve problems. And Dugan is not one for solving problems. His main goal is basically to cause problems, of course, and to justify uh, the imperialism of the oligarchy in Moscow. Just like there are other ideologists in, in, in speakers and pundits on this side of the world whose job is to justify imperialism by the ruling oligarchy in Washington. Uh, basically, the rich old white guys that run Washington and the rich old white guys that run Moscow both pay people to say whatever they need to say to convince their uh, populations to, if not support them, then at least not actively oppose them. And that is very much the opposite of the purpose of this podcast. This purpose of this podcast is to provide a place that you can share from to inoculate your friends who are getting into Joe Rogan and it's starting to read a bunch of Greg Johnson or something like that. Uh, the purpose of this is to expose you to these ideas, but in a filtered way, so that I am not quoting Alexander Dugan, for example, without actively mocking him and explaining what a dumb piece of shit he is and why his ideas are wrong, and that uh, I expose... I am capable of conveying these ideas that I expose myself to with the appropriate degree of mockery and contempt and so forth. This is not a fascism platforming liberal podcast. I, ha- I, I hate these people. They are opposed to everything I believe in. They want me and my friends and family and my community dead, and I will fight them with whatever degree of force is necessary, which for now is this podcast project. So this is not a marketplace of ideas. This is a uh, podcast for small unit infantry tactics of ideas and seriously arming yourself with weapons of ideas and rhetoric and peace and so forth, so long as that's necessary. This is Doc signing off. I look forward to continuing this season. Uh, It is beginning on May Day, and it will run until Yule 2022. Uh, And in the next five or six months, we will be exploring various aspects of modern fascism, possibly revisiting some older guests of this podcast or alumni, whatever term you prefer. And we may also we will definitely also be introducing names that have not come up before. So the the corkboard of white nationalism uh, is going to get a bunch of new red thread this season. So I hope you folks are willing to join me for that. Until then, this is Doc signing off. I hope you have a pleasant May Day. I hope you uh, enjoy the warming weather in the Northern Hemisphere and the cooling weather in the Southern Hemisphere. And I will see y'all in the podcast thread.